Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human Podcast. My name is Jackie Ford. New house, new place, settled in Edinburgh now. I'm delighted to be with my guest today, Helen, Helen Goldstein. Helen and I have known each other for a long, 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 long time. Long time. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about how long, well I don't really care, it must be 30, 30 years, Helen, on and off. Uh, probably. 20, anyway, doesn't really 20 matter. odd years, I think. Yeah, 20 odd years. And it's just a delight whenever I get a chance to, to sit with Helen and shoot the breeze. And, you know, the topics for these podcasts are always kind of like, what do I talk about? What's going to be happening here? And Helen asked me just before I came on, she says, Jackie, what, what are we going to talk about? And very much so, I just want to shoot the breeze with you, Helen, and, and see what's going on for you. We're women of a certain vintage. And I know a lot of the listeners are, you know, of that same vintage or slightly younger. And there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of wisdom that I know, Helen, we've been through. <laughs> We're going through. Just a tad. <laughs> you know, through our lives, it might be just fun to kind of share and, you know, see see what comes through with that. Now, I always say, you know, Helen, I know, tell people about you, because I know you are the most amazing coach, centred on love and kindness, Helen. And I just think that is so beautiful because so many of us don't give ourselves that grace. No, absolutely. So, I mean, just to begin, can you give people just a wee wee chat about your your practice? Okay, so um, my main focus of attention I guess working with clients now is self-compassion and kindness Mm. and I've got to this place from as you say quite a um a a journey of of vintage (laughs) (laughs) if I I was a car I would probably get a lot of money in an auction for me um but having you know been through a journey from you know nursing and working in health and social care but working with humans Mm -hmm. and for the longest time it's always been this kind of a sense that something missing something not quite getting it people really wanting to change really wanting to do something different um and it never quite sticking or being sustainable and for the last probably decade moving towards and of course my own journey it's always about us isn't it in some way Um, the 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 bit that's been missing and it seems so obvious really is the lack of kindness not necessarily to other people we're taught to be kind to other people but actually the lack of kindness to ourselves and realizing that that has a profound effect on our physical and mental health so my practice now is really about coaching I mean people will come with all kinds of different needs but actually everything I do is underpinned Mm. with um self-compassion kindness um because actually our brain isn't really naturally geared to being kind to ourselves for all kinds of reasons mm-hmm. so um although social media is a wash with be kind be kind be kind it's actually technically quite difficult until you operationalize it and actually look at what those behaviors look like mm. what does that even be kind if i was kind to myself today what would that look like 
And of course, I specialize in women predominantly who have been contaminated by the toxicity of the diet culture that is prevalent in society. So I hear unkindness to self. So commonly spoken that people don't even realize that what they're saying is not kind. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just become embedded in the culture that we live in. So that's basically in a sort of a little nutshell. You know, and as I'm hearing you speak, Helen, it's very much, you know, she's just saying all of this in a way that's kind of like, well, I do this and I do this. And, you know, hey, what Helen does and the way Helen writes and speaks is just so beautiful and so transformational. Helen has been in and around some of my inner circles for a while now, and she has such a positive impact on others I've seen it myself and yet I hear you say these things in the most humble way and I adore that about you that Mm. it's just because that speaks to who you are Helen you know there isn't bravado about it there isn't you know a song and dance about it it just is it's this whole unashamedly human thing like This is who I am. This has been my journey. Here are my insights. Here is the wisdom that I've seen. And here is how I'd love to share that with you. Yeah. And and it's still, I have, you know, wake on a daily basis with this gentle reminder. Yeah. With an intention of nourishing myself with kindness in its totality. And some days I'm kinder than others. Some moments I'm kinder than others. But the human condition is that we don't generally default to kindness yes. for many, many reasons. So, yes. yeah. So I so I thank you for that, for those kind words. And, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> admitting that and not going, oh, and dismissing it, which women often do as well. You know, it's, oh, yeah. oh, no, no, don't accept a compliment. I remember years ago, Helen, I was trying to teach my daughters how to accept a compliment because I could see them oh oh you know being really quite uncomfortable with the thought of having a compliment and uh, I remember giving them compliments and it would very much be like accept the compliment say thank you just move on just just move on move on and uh, as usual you know so teenagers they started to make fun of it and it was like thank you ma'am I'm moving on (laughs) that's your cheeky bandits slap you all (laughs) You know, there is that kind of, it's, it's someone else's opinion and you can agree with it or not agree with it. And you can say thank you. Yeah. You know, and we often don't, we? well, not often, we get gifts. We don't always like them, but we say thank you. Yeah. I remember, do you remember years ago when we trained with Michael Breen? Yes. He had that imaginary, you know, that Tommy Mallet imaginary, <laughs> that great big phone hand. And he used to say, when people offer it, offer you kind words, not so kind words, you have this imaginary hand push away from you and say thank you mm-hmm. it's someone else's opinion and thank you and that's what people don't understand in fact thank you for reminding me of that Helen one of my clients recently was was changing jobs and a lot of people were very innocently offering their opinion about why she shouldn't move to this other job you know, and they had a plethora of reasons and it started to get into her head. So she started to have all sorts of thoughts about it and started to second guess herself. And I just said to her, remember, opinion is constructed from thought. 
that's all it is. And basically, it's telling you more about their thought processes than it is telling you about your own. So you don't have to pay attention to it. And that weight was gone. Her mind became clearer. And it was like, oh, that's what it is. You know, it was so subtle. Yeah, but we're so, aren't we, in so many ways conditioned. Yes. Yes. To for opinion and thinking that we need to listen to other people. And and sometimes the input can be really profound. Somebody can ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that completely and in a get in a way that's as coaches what we do is kind of drop a question in yeah mind so that the mind suddenly the lights go on and you can suddenly see something that was always there yeah but not been there but this other thing of unsolicited advice Brene Brown always talks about um because it's not about you know it isn't about moving to a position of I don't give a shit about what anyone else thinks because actually we're wired for connection and we need it's all relational and it's really important but it's being very very circumspect but whose opinion Mm. we're going to listen to and it has to be people that have earned to write to have an opinion in on or in your life and it also technically although it doesn't work like that and I'm sure I'm as guilty as the next person is offering unsolicited advice. I'm sure my daughter-in-law might be listening to this <laughs> thinking, oh, my kids thinking, really? You really you never give unsolicited, you know, that thing. when you Get, get your car. Zip it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're human. But it's having that awareness, yeah. yeah, especially when it's income. And especially, as you say, with your client, when we're in a, when we're feeling maybe a little more vulnerable because we're moving and changing, that's when we're even more likely to listen to things that maybe not be helpful. Yeah. If our own brain is going, oh, shall I jump? Shall I stay? Shall I jump? Shall I stay? And then someone comes, no, no, stay where you are. You know where you are. Mm. You know what's going on. The brain, and the brain likes that, doesn't it? Likes knowing. Likes knowing. I, I mean, I mean, you know this yourself, Helen. That that feeling of not knowing, that kind of like being on a wobble board, yeah. is, is is that feeling is an invitation to recognise that you haven't a decision hasn't been made yet. You don't have to make that decision. That decision will come to you yeah. when you start to feel a bit more grounded. And and to get more grounded, you just you ask the question: What should I do? Then you leave it. Yeah. You know, just leave it and then the answer will come to you more often than not. You know, sometimes there are processes and things that you need to do to, to, to settle your mind. But inevitably, it always comes in that neat package. It's like you then know and there's a full stop. That's what I have to do. That's it. There's there's yeah. no other, you know, kind of like, like I think every house we've ever bought, Helen, you, know, you hear me saying this all the time. Oh, we went to this house. We bought this this house it, again it's like we knew we just absolutely knew this was the one yeah. and I remember after you know our, our offer was accepted watching the, the Edinburgh market for about six months till we moved in and there was not one property Helen that came up that Jerry and I would have said oh that's the one so it, it's trusting that isn't it trusting yeah, that knowing and being kind to yourself, recognizing that you do know. I uh, yeah, and but but part of that is, I guess, what you practice is that stilling of the mind because we do know, 
Mm. And yet we can forget we know when there is old stories popping up, old chatter, running around the planet asking other people's opinion, doubting ourselves, that noise in our head drowns out the noise, the the knowing. Mm -hmm. And when we're able to go, it's like working at your desk and getting overwhelmed and not being able to see the wood for the trees and you shut everything down and go for a walk. And when you come back, it's all really clear mm-hmm. at times. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, but, but that's it. And when, when what we're speaking of, in a way, is the glorious messiness of what it is to be a human being. Glorious messiness. It's just glorious, you know. And, and you know, my pet hate is these, you know, this message out there that somehow it's not. Uh-huh. And in a way, I think that's what has caused definitely me a lot of pain in my life and a lot of people that this belief that we're working towards some kind of utopian well being not human being a vulcan where we're not emotional <laughs> where you know every, <laughs> yeah, where everything yeah for, for those listening who've never watched star trek a vulcan is just pure logic so no the vulcan would not eat chocolate cake if they said they were not going to eat chocolate cake but they probably don't even understand the concept of chocolate cake. However, that acceptance, that growing up believing that we were supposed to be working towards some kind of state of perfection, state of, you know, no moods, no crying, doing everything right, mm-hmm. I think has caused so much pain and suffering for so many people that we can gently accept that suffering at being flawed, our imperfections, um, as Christine Neff puts in her model of self-compassion, it's being human, and that is what it is to be human. So to spend your life on a on a ever-fasting treadmill of personal development to try and not be human, and that's what I find. I know I definitely did for far too many years. Me too, Helen. This belief that Absolutely. my imperfections need to be ironed out yes. instead yes. of embraced or offered kindness to. But Helen, that's the difference between the patriarchal idea of personal development versus what we're getting now is 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 sort of the, the matriarchal, the, the feminine um, side of what it means to heal, what it means to grow. I mean, simple things, Helen, like when I was growing up, you know, it was like, oh, don't cry, you'll be okay. When I was, you know, I had my daughter, I was like, oh, don't cry, you'll be okay. Now it's with my granddaughter. It's it's okay to cry. Yeah. Let it out. It's okay. I know you got hurt. I know it might hurt for a few days. And it's just like, there's healing for me in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're gently reparenting, aren't you? When you can offer yes. that, that the, the cuddle and the offering of their, the, the stroking of their sadness, yeah. you're actually offering yourself. I mean, you know, this kind of, it's interesting, you make me, I remember as a child, I think I cried a lot. I just remember being told I was over-emotional. You know, you only have to look at her and she starts crying. Mm. You know, what's the matter with you now? This kind of, then there's those constant messages, it's not okay to be you. Yeah. It's not okay to have emotion. Yes. (laughs) It's like, come on. I know. 
It, it's, I mean, when you look back, I mean, I can remember years ago, I used to, when people were crying, I used to give them tissues. I don't give tissues anymore because, I mean, I would if somebody was really snorting everywhere. Disgusting. <laughs> but actually, because a tissue is another really subtle mm-hmm. stop crying. The That's signal true. with a tissue can be nine times out of ten when you give someone a tissue they blow their nose and stop crying so it's looking at it so subtle yes Um, and of course for a lot of when it comes to food of course a lot of that pain and suffering the shutting down of it was given a chocolate button give a yeah yeah, and it looks like it's being kind Mm -hmm. i know Um, and my instinct with my grandchildren is to do it and i have to no, no. Yeah, it's misinformed, Helen. It's innocent, but it's oh. it's misinformed. I remember one time um, in our last house, all the girls were down, and um, Megan was down with Ailey, and um, Ailey hurt her head or something. She fell and she hurt. She she just bumped. It wasn't anything nasty, anything like that. And she sort of wanted grandma, and she came to me and she got lots of big cuddles. And I was doing my thing, you know. It's okay. Sorry, you hurt yourself. Blah 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 blah. And um, eventually she stopped crying and she, then she saw a packet of crisps on the counter and went, eh. and then uh, I gave her them and the girls went, aha, still eating your feelings then. <laughs> well, I look, you let her, her feelings were expressed and then she went. Exactly. You know, they, they were just taking the, you know, they were just taking the piss basically. But to me, this is a huge point of what I do, Helen, um, in becoming unashamedly human and in the school and everything is, is about teaching people about how we can have, and we've spoken about little traumas here. These are little traumas. When people think about trauma, they think, you know, naturally a lot of people think about the big things. In my life, Helen, I would say to you, I had a lovely upbringing. I did. I don't remember wanting for anything. I remember my relationship with my mother being quite strained. And a couple of months ago, my brother said to me, my wee brother said to me, I was so glad that you came before me in the family, Jackie, says, because you got it rough. And I don't, I remember, I remember being challenged a lot, but I think I was challenging. So I just saw it as that. I didn't see it as anything else. I wasn't the cookie cutter daughter that my mum wanted. I was a bit rebellious. I had a mind of my own. You know, I, I wasn't, I was a bit of a, a, a tom girl, you know, because I grew up in between two brothers, blah, blah, blah. And so, My childhood was good, but because of my relationship with my mother, there are behavioural traits that I've had throughout my life that have been born from trauma, what we call fawn trauma. So my mum's love always felt as though it was conditional. Yeah. Um, I always was looking for approval. Um, sometimes, the, the, you know, she, she was overwhelmed with three children under five and, you know, three children in a very close... And my dad was away working a lot, unfortunately. So this woman was overwhelmed. She had no family to support her. And sometimes she just shut down because she couldn't handle life. And so as a young child, you take that as shunning. Well, I think it's also... We take it personally because below a certain, you know, below us, well, I don't know what age we suddenly, it stops being all about us. But if I'm four years, when I'm four years old and this very tired, overwhelmed mum comes home 
and snaps at me. I do not have the experience or the ability, and I'm very, it's all about me anyway at that stage of development to go, oh, she's had a really hard day at work and she's tired and those carry bags are hard. No, it'll be what I just did in that moment was wrong and it wasn't safe to behave in that way. So I'm not going to do that again. I mean, I'm not saying it's as clear cut as that, but that tends to be. And and so, and that my need wasn't met. So this in that moment, the brain does experience that as a trauma. Yes. I mean, the word, we're used to the word as being something, a big event happening. But as you say, in a little person, or even now, you know, <clears throat> if you think about it, if you walk down the street and you see somebody that you really, you know, is a really close friend and for whatever reason they don't see you and you call them and they don't hear you, in that moment, in that moment, the brain will, depending on our stories and, and our past, probably experience this little feeling or a big feeling of, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm about to be... um I'm about disconnections about to happen. I've done something wrong. I'm not safe here. And I think when we understand when we're very little, all those moments in a child's world <clears throat> are about this deep feeling of not being safe. And that's traumatic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because when we're little, we don't now, as we get older, we older, we understand the very complicated construct of love that I can love you and be cross with you at the same time. Absolutely. We don't Absolutely. know that when we're little. And sometimes I think it can be difficult when we're <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and it's understanding and being kind to yourself and having the grace to see that, Helen, that our brains immediately go to memory, to old stories. And these old stories, you know, a memory isn't, isn't, you know, finite. It isn't, it isn't, absolutely true it's our recollection of it like the other day I was speaking to my daughter one of my daughters and you know she said to me I was talking to her about you know when she was a teenager she would often come into our room just as Jerry and I had gone to bed and she would lie in between us and she would just download all her worries so she would go to bed completely relaxed and I'd be like <laughs> my brain would be going round and round and Jerry used to call it therapy and he says why do you keep doing that I said because I want her to yeah. like all these things but my daughter doesn't remember doing that she she says she said mom I don't remember ever you know sharing my feelings with you went Megan practically every bloody night you know you you were there um you know you were there and you were doing that but she doesn't remember it so I, I think it's also not trusting our memories as absolute truth well I think one of the challenges because you know, if we use the metaphor of a computer, the way that we know the, we're creatures that are constantly creating our own reality from our sensory input. Mm-hmm. And this, if you like, our very sophisticated Google bar mm-hmm. <clears throat> that then goes searches for searches for meaning. It's and if right. it's like, you know, the simplest, if you walk down the road and smell, walk past a baker's shop, whatever the smell is will open a program of what that smell is if you smell and you watch people do it if there's an unfamiliar smell they look around they don't know what they're smelling because they've googled it and the brain doesn't have any kind of program for that so they have to then go find out Mm -hmm. Um, now the then go find out is a great way of living but we also the, the it's like everything else that the brain does the polarities it's absolutely amazing that we have a brain 
that can actually go search for sameness. So when I pick up a mug, even if it's never seen that mug before, it knows what to do with that mug. Yes. But it's a bloody pain in the arse when when it does this call, this immediate response to something. goes, what does this look like? Oh, this looks like the last time they looked at me like that. And this is, and the brain goes, oh, and that's what happened. Then that's not helpful. And that's always our challenge in a way. And that's where the kindness comes in. And it's kind of being able to sometimes interrupt. It's, you know, it's what Frankel talked about, putting yeah. that breathing space in the middle of the... You know I talk about that all the same here. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes we manage it. Yeah. Sometimes we can do this thing of causing the effect and responding as opposed to um, this, this automatic reaction. And the challenge is that not probably 90% of our automatic reactions during the day are really helpful. Mm. If we had to stop and relearn everything for the very first time, we would not be able to function. Absolutely. Um, it would be horrendous. But it is this kind of creating enough quiet space in enough moments about noticing those constant triggers mm-hmm. because we've all got them. And the gift of the repeated trigger is we have time to plan ahead how we might practice responding differently. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, to me, that's, that is, a. if people say to me, what does kindness look like? It look like many things, but it also looks like that. Yeah. Kind of putting yourself in your driving seat going, I know I always react like that, but actually yeah. I don't have to. Absolutely. I could play with what might it be like. That's the key word, Helen. It's play. And this is what I encourage my clients to do all the time. I know you do too. Is instead of being serious about this trigger, it's about being playful with it and, and seeing it for what it is. It's an invitation yeah. to learn something new about yourself, to learn about an old habit or an old way of being so that you can evolve and grow. Something To me, the universe is giving you something that no longer serves you. Yeah. So it's time to see it for what it is and move on and it is i read something the other day about and it's really interesting don't um, i would tell you the author if i could remember can't so um, <laughs> but this kind of this it's not new discovery about how there's you know about how the brain works i'm not going to go diving into neuroscience but actually this is really interesting fact that the brain's main motivation is to save as much energy as possible, mm-hmm. is to use as little energy as possible. That's really important to understand when, because what we do, don't we, is we go, you know, historically, if you look at the dieting world, if you look at that change world, you know, it's this perfect partnership of uh, people go to do something that doesn't work. And it's a very unique position because it doesn't work. And there is a collusion between the user of this this intervention and the people that have offered it somehow managed to get the user to know that it's not their fault. It's not the intervention's fault. It's their fault. So it's a bit like going to the car mechanic and he doesn't mend your engine, but somehow manages to let you think it's your fault the engine doesn't work. So you then spend years banging your head against a brick wall in order to try and make the what the engineer is offering make that engine work. Does that make sense? Helen, it makes total sense. Right. Because I'm going so, to tell you something here. I find there are people in the coaching world who do the same thing. 
they make their clients feel that it's their fault that they're not having an insight. It's their fault that they don't understand what's being shown to them. And I always remember in, you know, sort of in, in, in our NLP training, it's like, if you're not getting what I'm saying, it's I'm not saying it in a way that you can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can't remember the... Yeah, it's the meaning of the communicate. The meaning of the communication is the way that it, you get. <laughs> and I've forgotten why I was even talking about the engine. But I think, in terms of understanding, when we understand some of how our brain is working, we get why the brain is going to always want to left on its own choose the quickest route to something, yeah. the most efficient route. Yeah route that it's taken the most because it uses less energy mm. so from an energy perspective um when you look at often all of our behaviors then we just keep repeating them repeat them so i work with people that have um dieted for years and they can almost their strategy of not succeeding is almost wide on their timeline to within a second mm. if they start something new it'll always be to the minute and the second where they then de deviate to something else. And then what happens is our story. So that intervention, you give me an intervention to do, and you convince me that the intervention is 100% correct. I'm the one at fault. So then I just create a load of stories, or I go visit stories from the past that conclude and collude okay. with all of you that it's because I'm pathetic. I don't have enough willpower. I blah, 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 blah. And that's why the diet industry, in collusion with the food industry, are a multi-billion dollar plus, plus, plus. Um, and why it's in all of their interest to keep, call it different, make it lifestyle, make it, call it, but it's all the same load of crap. Mm. My aim is always to help my clients first understand a little of how their brain is actually working and why none of this is actually, if we're looking at fault and blame, which I don't, mm -hmm. but if we were, it's not anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. When they understand that and add kindness and self-compassion into the mix, magic happens. Yeah. The system that is the human body can begin to gently reset. Absolutely, Helen. And I'm not sure if any of that made any sense. Oh, would you stop doing that? It makes absolute sense because if it doesn't make sense, I'm in a lot of shit because that's the way <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's, it's help when people understand how they work as a whole human. Yeah. No, we're, we're not bypassing the, the, the process of being human and looking at their, their, their physicality, their physiology, their their psychology, their spirituality. We have to take it all into the picture, Helen, to help yeah. people heal. Because if we don't, then you're kind of, you're helping people with one hand tied behind your back. And and so many people, this is what I found, Helen, people love the factual stuff because their brain, their life brain's looking for the factual stuff. And while they're looking for the factual stuff, you can pop in, the stories and, you know, the insights that then help them have insights of their own. I mean, the number of people that have said that, you know, uh, about the way that I work, and I've heard people saying about the way you work too, to be heard, to be listened to, to be loved, to not be judged. It, 
in itself, Helen. It's healing. It's healing. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you when you were talking earlier about when, when you comfort your granddaughter, and I'm, you know, when I saw oh, you well up a little bit, there is this kind of, you know, Christian Neff will often talk about self-compassion as a pathway to reparenting. Because in those moments of suffering, whether they're ours or others, there is an opportunity to meet our suffering with compassion. Yes. To um, stop. And it and it doesn't take very long to stop and be able to acknowledge that, you know, it, this is... Um, the, the practice is, is um, a self-compassion break. And in all the, the stuff that I can offer myself, this one in a moment where I first acknowledge that suffering is present. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be. It might be because I've spilt some water and decide, and I'll just notice I'm feeling, I don't know, maybe activated an old story about myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like I'm not talking about like, because the truth, the truth like is our pain in look when we we will all sadly experience big pain and suffering in our life we will all be very blessed to experience great joys but the truth of the matter if we're blessed with most of our lives it's the little joys that need big celebrations yes. and it's the little pain and suffering that need being held yes. so that you're able to stop and go Ah, oh, this is a moment of suffering, or whatever word feels right for you. And acknowledge this is what it is to be human. So you stop feeling isolated and thinking it's just you. You recognize that this is what it is to be human. Yes. And then the ubiquitous question in that moment is, what do I need? Yes. What do I need right now? Yeah. Now, as you say, if you quiet the mind, the mind, my mind has never failed to give me a response. Mm-hmm. Um when I quiet down and go, what do I need right now? Which might not be immediate. No. And people will say to me, well, my brain often says, I don't know. And I go, well, then that's an answer. Yeah. You can speak to your suffering by going, I get that you don't know what you need right now. And I'm here for you. And I'm going to be with you. And I love you. And we're in this together. And we will know. But right now, I'm just going to hold you tightly. Yeah. And that's enough. It is enough. Oh, Helen, I need to share a wee story with you. It's... When we were little, my mum and dad used to sing You Are My Sunshine to us. And then when our kids were little, we used to sing You Are My Sunshine to us when it was bedtime, right? And you heard, you probably heard me saying that I now sing that to Ailey. And there was one night I was singing it to her and my voice broke because obviously at that point I went to a place where I remembered all these things. And Megan said she was putting Ailey to bed the other night there. And Ailey started singing it back to her. And she said she just cracked you know she she says it was just so beautiful she, I mean she couldn't say all the words but she was no, of course not but she's already you've already this becomes like a generational gift doesn't it yes and just as there are generational gifts there are generational traumas yeah unfortunately yeah and most of them innocent unfortunately and these are some of the things that Helen and I have just been sort of mentioning and that gift we can give ourselves, all of ourselves, is that gift of space to notice noticing the triggers, to notice noticing the feelings, to notice noticing the stories, to notice noticing how we respond and and, and what's the behaviour that comes from that. And remember that before all of that happens, we have this space. 
this space to breathe and to pause before we fall back into old patterns and give ourselves this playful opportunity to see something new, to do something new, to feel what that feels like. Because, you know, old saying, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you've always got. Yeah. And I know at my age of life, my vintage, I'm in a space, Helen, where I want the new experiences. There's so much that I don't want to, and I know I will experience it again, but the the, the levels of the experience hurting are getting less and less in most cases. For my, I was, I I turned 60 on on Thursday and my, my daughters all said to me, you know, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. The whole process of downsizing was kind of like, I have too much stuff. We have too much stuff. We moved here and we still, we thought we'd done the downsizing, but we hadn't. So we had to redo it, which was hysterical. And it was funny. But I asked my girls, I said, what I want is to have time with you all, to have new experiences. And I'm not having a big party the way your dad did because I'm going to have 60 completely new experiences. That is what I want. And so my daughter, Nikki, started the ball and she took me out and we went to see a John Byrne exhibition at the Kelvin Grove. I'd wanted to see that. I'd never seen one of those before. And then she took me for a meal and it was meals that she had had. It it was a South Asian um, restaurant called Kapow in the West End of Glasgow. Oh my God, Helen, the taste, the flavour. She was like, mum because <laughs> it, it, it was having these moments of going oh god there's lemongrass in there oh my goodness the peanut butter in these corn ribs are just awesome even the fact that would make corn and say it was corn ribs Helen tickled me you know that it was something else that's what I want from my life but I also want these older experiences to come through me so I have the opportunity to learn so that I can apologize Helen I can apologize and there's been a lot of that healing going on with my daughters you know I know I haven't caused them major traumas but I have caused little things in their life that I'm apologizing for but I'm talking through them with them because I don't want to die Helen and they haven't had the opportunity to talk with me about these things. And I think there is actually some sense of acceptance that we're all imperfectly flawed humans bringing up imperfectly flawed humans. And, and that's the unashamedly human gift I want to give to my kid, my girls, Helen. But I think there's also a sense to say to you, if the conversations of forgiveness that you believe you need to have with your girls is forgive yourself for oh that's that's the starting point helen no 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 that that's the it's the insights that i have had and the, the crying that i have had realizing where i was in my life at that point and then it's like oh okay i was doing the best that i could but yeah. I do know better. And I do know that I want my girls to understand where I was at that point. 
so they can understand where that came from. And um, there's not big shit, Helen. You know, I think my girls remember me shouting at them once. Um, I think my kids remember me shouting at them more than once. No, I, you, you never let me when when they were little. As <laughs> teenagers, uh, I enjoyed shouting at them because they were lazy lards. Um, you but, know, I think sometimes when you talk about when I hear you talk about, um, you know, without insight, without awareness, there can be no. Yes. Well, there can't be any conscious change, I guess, for the use of a better word. But there's this kind of, there is an opportunity to do nothing except offer kindness in that moment. And often the simplest way to understand what that might look like in that moment is to maybe do a self-compassion rate. But I always say to people, if in doubt, speak to yourself as you would. A dear friend. And people often say, you know, talk to yourself as you would a best friend. I think talk to yourself as you would a perfect stranger, because most people I know wouldn't talk to a perfect stranger the way they talk to themselves. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to say a best friend. You know, most, if you think you're going to like, well, you don't go to GP practice near where I live anymore, but if you're ever allowed in, the message, you know, there's messages we won't tolerate, abusive language, we won't tolerate this. And I think we ought to have a message <laughs> It's in our foreheads going, no, we do not, we do not um, tolerate unkind words. Um, um, Only kindness will be tolerated here. And and it's powerful. It's so powerful in so many ways. Absolutely. Um, But again, it's the hypnotic impact of language on us that we don't understand. Most of us don't even see that we're doing that to ourselves. No, and so even those of us who know, like, look for that feeling. How is that making you feel? Does it make you feel better? No. Well, what would you rather do instead? What could you do instead? I think you know, even those of us who know how powerful language is, mm-hmm. because we're doing so much of what we do every day in an unconscious trance. We, it's. And that's why mindfulness is so important, not necessarily as a grand practice, but actually being aware every day of being aware and noticing, you know, I might invite clients to do um, a kindness check in. Mm. So, you know, if you're able to, you just set a timer on your on your um, phone or something so that you stop regularly and get into the habit of going, okay, what's going on right now? How am I feeling? Mm-hmm. What happened in the last hour? And reset. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do a great inquiry on what happened in the hour before, but it's this kind of, okay, so I'm resetting my intention to be more consciously aware that I'm being kind to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can create a, a habit. Yeah. That you can switch gently that I mean it's the same with gratitude when you practice gratitude and it is a practice mm-hmm. and to truly practice it you know there's been um MRI proof that that it can slightly alter the default brain to right. be inclined to look for what's gone well mm-hmm. um and again not great big PhD moments yeah I know but I... moments that we you know my god if I went to switch my tap on now and there was no water and I wanted to it would be like oh my god what's happened blah 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 
I'll go and put the water on now when we finish to fill the kettle. I'm not, you know, I will now because I've talked about it. Stand there and go, wow, how blessed am I to live in a time that not only I've got water, I've got clean running water. Yeah. I've got water that's safe for me to drink. I mean, it's London water. Occasionally it's a bit bleachy, but nevertheless, um, you know, we don't do it. And these are simple ways that we can start. They will help us. Mm-hmm. They will help us feel more grounded. And it's all of these practices. I mean, there's so many ways that we can, the technical term is operationalized, but actually put behaviors of kindness into our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will change. Because you say the language is powerful. Language is so powerful. Oh, my Lord. We're either weakening or strengthening ourselves at a level that we don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um we do with other people. We do get it with others. But when it comes to ourselves, mm-hmm. oh, when I hear people go, it's just the way I am. No, it's not. No, I know. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I love I love that. I, I love hearing people say these kind of things because it's it's funny. I was working with a client the other day there and um, she said something to me and she says, it's, it's, it's just the way I am. It's the way I've always been. It's the way I'll always be. And I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> it going to teach me you know I almost get my crystal balls out like come on show me how how do you know that and it's 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 that pattern interrupt that makes people go oh well hey what because nobody's challenged them before because this is the the language that most people use here are the cliches that we all use every single day that yeah. we just take as oh well that's just that's just it, you know how do you know you can't until you try yeah uh, Helen, thank you for being uh, a guest. <laughs> thank you for having me. As it always, a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for being a guest on the Unashamedly Human podcast. And I'm just going to pop this out here. If anyone is interested in doing some more work with both Helen and I, please get in touch because there there are a number of ideas in my head of some um, audio programs uh, that Helen and I can do and some online programs. But if you've enjoyed the way that Helen and I interact and what we're saying and how we're working, let me know because, you know, there's, there's a lot Helen and I can actually do together to put out there to help you move forward in your life related to diet, related to kindness, related to life, related to being unashamedly human and using a mix of modalities and strategies and techniques um, because we're both trained in God knows how many ninja <laughs> ways of helping a human being reach the point of humanity, proper unashamedly humanness um, and becoming imperfectly imperfect and being okay with that. So please do get in touch. As always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it, please like it, please subscribe and please leave a review. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you all soon. And Helen, any last words of gorgeous wisdom? Please, please pay attention and nourish yourself with kindness in any way that you can, always. Thank you, Helen. Lots of love from Helen and lots of love from me. And we will hopefully speak to you soon. You take care. Bye. Bye.